This is Company. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast produced in rural Australia, bringing together ambitious women from the bush, the cities, and all over the world. Hands up if you've worked in a co working space recently. I definitely have. For me, as somebody who's usually working at home solo, they are a wonderfully social relief for any working day. I also find them the perfect accountability partner. No cheeky internet browsing on my co-working days. It excites me so much that there are co-working spaces popping up all over regional Australia. Some are mind-blowingly grand and beautiful, and some of them are just humble spaces in the main street of town. My guest today is the co-owner of the newly opened Grenfell Collective, a beautiful co-working space in Grenfell in Central West New South Wales. Dr Belinda Marwini and her partner, Ant Dixon, took on this venture to solve personal problems. Belinda wanted a space where she could work in town and they both wanted to create a modern, stylish environment to number one, hold client meetings, but also to inspire other soul workers in the small town, as well as creating a space where they could all get together. Here's Belinda's story. My name is Belinda Mawini. I live on a farm just outside of Grenfell in central west New South Wales and I do a lot of things. I am a social worker by trade. I have a master's in health management. I was recently conferred as a doctor of philosophy. I'm a board member on the local preschool. Uh, I'm a mum and I run my own business as a consultant specialising in leadership and business relationship coaching. All from the little town of Grenfell. Yes, indeed. I I want to learn more about like your background and childhood, where you grew up, where you've been, but I really want to talk to you first and foremost about your latest venture. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing. Okay, so I think this is um, a really exciting and new project for us. Um, and it's called The Collective Grenfell, which is a shared workspace that is accessible to anybody who lives or is passing through Grenfell who needs a space to do their work, whatever that looks like, whether they're interested in renting a desk for a day, a week, a month or a year. And so why did you take the plunge to do this? I'm interested to know a little bit about where the seed first started to grow in your mind. I think it really came about when I first started coming back to Grenfell and I was spending quite a bit of time here at weekends. That was maybe about six years ago. And so I just started my doctorate um, and I was needing to do a lot of work on weekends, obviously, um, because I was working full time in Sydney and we didn't have any internet at home. So I was doing a lot of work offline. Um, And I was doing it at the kitchen table, which was very novel initially, but it meant I was losing a lot of time in terms of efficiency of just setting up and packing up at the end of each day. And there was just a real limit on what I could possibly do. So when I eventually moved back here, which was four and a half years ago, um, that was just really not going to work as well as it had done just sort of as a as a short-term plan on weekends. So I kind of put a bit of pressure on some really old friends who had businesses in town um, and I rented a desk initially off um, a friend who was a human resources consultant who was running her own business. So I perched out the back of her office Um, in the main street and that was wonderful but what that really gave me was a real sense of connection to somebody who I'd known for a really long time but what was really lovely about that is we started having conversations about our business and how we ran our business. Um, I just started a consultancy practice um, and it was just I don't know for me I, I was just going home feeling 
like I'd not only really achieved some significant goals towards completing my thesis, but I was also having business discussions with somebody that I felt really comfortable with, um, who'd been operating her own business for a number of years. And it just gave me a really strong sense of connection. When that that arrangement came to an end, I moved into another office um, where a couple of us had desks. And then I think that just led to more opportunity for conversations and just feeling really, really connected around the work we did, even though the work was really different. It just allowed me to feel more connected to the community in a different way other than being a mum. Okay. And was that second workplace the one that I happened to work at as well? Yes, it was, Sky Manson. And that was just, I don't know, I, I, I'm always interested in kind of knowing what other people's perspective was. But for me, um, obviously, it was a creative studio. Initially, it was a photography studio and it, and it later sort of evolved into a different business. And we were perched out the back um, in the main street, actually two doors up from the building that we eventually have bought to convert into the collective. Um, and I don't know, I, I just really enjoyed the fact that we were all there to get a lot of work done because we didn't want to work necessarily at home or we couldn't work at home. We had kids or we didn't have good internet or we were just getting pulled in lots of different directions. It just allowed us to come in anytime, day or night, seven days a week and basically focus on what we needed to get done so we could attend to everything else outside of that time. Totally. My perspective is is similar um, in that I moved here, had poor internet connection um, and needed a space to be able to work to upload and download big chunks of, of audio. But then the surprising silver lining was that exactly that. You had these conversations and you felt way more connected to the community. You'd run into people, just all these little one percenters along the way while you, you'd run into people while you were in town. And like you say, we all knew that we needed to work. And so there was this shared understanding that any abrupt end to a conversation was completely fine and you could just put your head down and this this mutual respect and then also beautiful friendships were born of it as well so I wonder how many situations like this are occurring in smaller communities everywhere have you looked into that at all I mean I think what I've understood so far is probably more of the bigger regional towns so when I first really grabbed the idea and thought right we're going to definitely do this and and when was that tell me when you decided to go for real well that was this time last year So in April 2020, I I tuned into a Business Chicks webinar and there were three women talking about starting up their own business. And one of them was Gillian Kilby from The Exchange in Dubbo. And there was something about the way all of them spoke, but I was particularly interested to hear the nuts and bolts of how Gillian really made the exchange happen and the more I listened to that particular interview the more I just started saying to myself I can do this I think I can do this I think this is what Grenfell needs and because we'd had that experience you and I working um, in Denise's studio and me working in Emma's office space I knew that there was a need I'd talked to lots of other particularly women across the Shire who were working from home in various arrangements. And I thought, I think there's a real need here. So after I got off that webinar, I was meeting a friend for a meeting and I walked up to her and she was like, what is going on? I can just sense there's something going on with you. And I said, I'm going to open a co-working space in Grenfell. And she was like, Right, well, if you say you're going to do that, I know you're going to do that. So that's really where the idea became a reality. 
And then it took us a little bit of time to settle on the purchase and then we purchased the building in October, started work in December and we'll be opening next month in yeah, April 2021. Such a massively quick turnaround. Well, it I guess in some ways it doesn't really feel like that. Sometimes there's been a lot of blood, sweat and tears, not too many tears, but like a it's been quite a work but because it's a converted warehouse a lot of the structure is there so we haven't necessarily needed to do much beyond create um sort of convert the front part of the building into a combination of offices and open plan so yeah I mean I'm kind of probably the sort of person who once I want to execute something I want to really crack on with it so tell me about has it been an enjoyable experience in a design sense like Gillian Kilby from the exchange we all went on well people who are interested went on the the design journey with her and she's made that space just so beautiful have you enjoyed are you trying to do the same thing yeah I think what I really love about the Exchange and Hive particularly, which is in Orange. Um, and I've probably spent more time at Hive just because it's closer to Grenfell than Dubbo is. What I love about both spaces is it is beautiful. You walk in and you think, oh my goodness, this is just a stunning, nurturing space where people are in there and working really hard having chats occasionally and having really nice events. But what I loved about both spaces and what I've really grabbed a hold of is I want people to feel that same sense of pride when they walk in there or they say to a client, come and meet in my office at the collective or we've got a meeting room booked at the collective, let's meet there. And that people walk in there with that same sense of really contemporary industrial kind of look but a really professional edge to it and I have really enjoyed it I've worked with um, a beautiful and very very talented designer called Lil Wilson from Cowra Um, she was recommended by a good friend of mine and she has just been amazing in terms of really pulling together the bones of what needed to happen and just being really supportive around um any decisions that I've kind of made around how to to furnish the space or really working with what my design preference is. And yes, I have loved that part. I cannot wait to have a little peek. <laughs> What's the population of Grenfell and what, what gave you the confidence to feel like this could be utilised as a long-term investment? I paid particular attention yesterday when I drove um, into town because there's a population sign <laughs> on the road that I was travelling on. So it's somewhere in the vicinity of 3,900. I think that's the Shire population rather than the town population. Um, so it's relatively small. It's it's obviously comparably very small to, to say, Dubbo or Orange. So I guess what I was really conscious of was scale and I've lived here as a child but lived here as an adult for the last few years and I think what I noticed is people in the community measure success by attendance and there's a real disconnect between what people expect to see that's it's just disproportionate to the population size and so I wanted to create a space that is really around abundance. So it's around having offices. There's only four private offices, but they're really big and spacious because I know I don't need 20 private offices in Grenfell. And having a big open space that has four really well spread out individual desks and a communal table, but it has that really lovely expansive feel to it because we don't necessarily have the population. But to me, when we were working out 
what sort of occupancy rate. We figured if we had occupancy around 30% for 40 weeks of the year, we would consider first year as being a real success. So we don't necessarily feel that having people in there every single day is what our goal is. Our goal is giving people the opportunity and inspiration to walk in and think, I'd like to work from there. or I'd like to put on an, an event for my clients in there. And it just gives people in the community an alternative for putting on an event that is designed around how many people would likely attend an event. So there's a backspace that we weren't necessarily planning on initially, but the building just really lent itself to this really open plan um, event space which we're calling the common room and and that's going to have a kitchen and a really nice bathroom and some really beautiful feature doors in there and exposed timber beams and little old school sunlights in the tin roof and it's got a really rustic concrete floor and we just thought you know for me personally with my business if I ever wanted to facilitate a workshop for my clients there isn't a space in Grenfell that I would personally feel was reflective of the brand of my business or the style of work that I want to deliver. So I would need to go out of town and I'm confident that other people feel the same. They either don't put on the event because there's not the space or they can't meet their clients here. So they adopt a different service delivery model because it's based on needing to go out of town or do Zoom meetings. So I was always confident there was enough demand, although the demand at the moment is really unknown. But something my partner always uh, says to me is, you have a confidence and a belief in yourself that I hope is contagious because other people kind of need, maybe need that to look at that space and think, yeah, I deserve to have a seat in that building because what I do is really important. And that's kind of, I guess, a lot of my belief is based on hope I love it and do you hope that it becomes like that maybe some of the the off spins of creating a space like this are that it improves visitation to and people moving to Grenfell and it puts Grenfell a bit more on the map absolutely I think in the last couple of years um, we as a town have seen a significant increase in tourists, which has just been really wonderful. The location of our business is in the the western end of the main street, which has sort of traditionally not been a busy part of the street, but having spent a lot of time over the summer in there painting or cleaning or demolishing walls, I've seen firsthand the flow of people and they're interested. They're, they might be here for other reasons. They might be here to see the silo art or they might be here to visit friends or they're caravanning and they're heading somewhere else or whatever it is. But I do think that there is there is a need for people who, even if they are maybe on holidays, that sometimes having an opportunity to sort of attend to things um, – I'm hoping just kind of will make it a little bit more appealing to make Grenfell their stop rather than heading through to Orange. And I think the other thing, which is a market that I'm just getting my head around a little bit more, is that there are a lot of travelling um, salespeople who obviously tra- travel extensively throughout Central West New South Wales. And giving people a location somewhere between Dubbo and Orange and Wagga, for example, to have a base to have a meeting or attend to their emails that means that they're not sitting in a cafe or sitting in their car on the side of the road, which a lot of people do. Like a lot of people are doing their business on the side of the road or from their car. It's just giving people an option. So my hope is that when people understand that there is this space and access is flexible you can come anytime any day you just need to book online and you can walk in and work I am hoping that people would say that makes Grenfell more appealing and a more feasible place to to stay so back to my original question which we've like gone all over the is 
um, through through your development of this, um, have you been able to do any? Like, I wonder if there's similar scenarios playing out in little small communities everywhere have you got any feel for for that I'm interested to know I think when I first um, at some point last year I had a really I had two extremely helpful conversations one was with Gillian Kilby um, just around kind of getting the idea into reality Um, and I also had some really great conversations with Prue Swain from Hive in Orange and Prue had just featured in The Australian. Um, they'd done a bit of a spread and Hive was part of that story and that really prompted a lot of people contacting her. So I also know through Prue that there are a lot of small towns where there are various iterations. Like I think although co-working is becoming increasingly popular, I think the objective of some of those businesses is different. So I think that there are some smaller scale sort of not-for-profit business models where, yeah, there are these little country towns with a couple of thousand people. Obviously, their objective and their demand is going to be really different from those larger regional centres. So I have a sense that this is happening in a lot more places than I would even know about. And something that I'm really curious to understand is how they are evolving and what what's driving them because there isn't necessarily the financial support available to start a business like this unless you have a really clear not-for-profit foundation which is not how we're operating. This is a completely commercial venture. I was going to ask you vaguely about barriers to entry and, you know, it to me seems like anyone, any town could do something like this um, or would have the demand to do something like that. But I, I suppose not everybody has the capacity to be able to do it. Has it been difficult in any sense? Yeah, I think it's been difficult in lots of different ways. But I think the biggest barrier other than the obvious which is probably money or having a a building in town that is um, good enough to meet the need other than that I honestly think the biggest barrier is mindset because if I if I reflect back on the most difficult parts of the whole project it's when people have stuck their head in and I've been in there all weekend and missed out on spending time with my family and somebody says to me I didn't think there'd be any need for something like this in town there that's been the most challenging thing is to try and is to try and stay true to what I know I mean I feel like I'm I'm pretty comprehensive in my approach to things and and I have had lots of conversations with lots of people that gave me the confidence that there is a need but the biggest barrier I think other than those obvious ones as I said is just maybe people projecting their own limiting beliefs or or their own doubts about things I think that's what would probably be the hardest just taking a small breather from our chat to tell you about the sponsor for series three of company the Grampians Goods Co is a company that's inspired by the rugged grandeur of the Grampians region in regional Victoria. Its founder, Amanda, creates and curates natural lifestyle products and practical luxe apparel. And let me tell you, they are all just so gorgeous. You know that I love a female-founded rural Aussie brand. The Grampians Goods Co's products are cleverly curated to help you experience adventure through a uniquely feminine lens. I've been saving my pennies to purchase a recycled wool tartan blanket for a snuggly winter's afternoon on the couch. But there's also a non-toxic self-nurturing aromatherapy candle range. And I am so looking forward to Amanda's exciting new range of cozy products coming out soon, including hot water bottle covers, new blanket styles, and a bespoke blend of salted hot chocolate. As an exclusive for company listeners, Amanda has set up a special discount code just for you. Enter COMPANY10 at the checkout for 10% off your purchase for a limited time.
So I want to learn a little bit about your backstory though. Did you grow up here? You did grow up here. Tell me about your childhood here. Okay, so we moved here when I was seven. We're originally from a really small town on the north coast of New South Wales, a town called Wagulga. So we moved here, as I said, when I was seven. Mum and Dad bought the local pub, which is just across the road and just down the street from where we've bought the collective. Um, so yeah, I moved here. I really loved the move. That was a really positive thing for me. I went to school here, but as an adolescent, I was really determined to become a social worker and I knew working in a sm- and living in a small rural town as a social worker was just not that feasible obviously I had to go away to university and I think at some point like a lot of teenagers I just I wanted more than what Grenfell had to offer so I left um, probably in a bit of a strop in some ways or just sort of left thinking that's that it's not the town for me it's not really a town that I can see myself living in as an adult so yeah I left why did you Why were you so sure that you wanted to do social work? Oh, I had seen, um, oh my goodness, at some point, maybe even when I was 11 or 12, I had seen a program and it was something dodgy like, um, like Darren Hinch tonight, something like that. But it was a story about homeless kids in King's Cross. And I remember saying to my mum, like, why do those kids live on the street and she was saying well because people are homeless like and I just remember thinking oh my gosh I can't believe that there are kids that are living on the street and I want to do something to help those kids and that's that was the that was it for me I then just set my sights about studying social work and that was just it like I just never really thought anything different And so, yeah, I left when I was 18, went away to university, um, did a short stint in Forbes, interestingly, which is just 50 k's from here as a social worker over there for a year. Um, And then I went to Sydney, lived there for a number of years, went and lived in England for four years. I was a social worker over there in Manchester, which I loved, loved, loved. Um, What brought you home from England? And what took you over there and it's just so interesting all the steps along the way and whether in your mind you were always anchored at Grenfell or were you your mind was made that you weren't coming back here I definitely was clear that I was never living here again um I was actually just as like a side story a couple of years oh goodness it was maybe 10 years ago um one of my favourite teachers ever, uh, Miss McCulloch, invited me to come and talk to some year nine students. Um, and so I came and I was just chatting to them about what I did and um, I guess it was just really about saying this is the possibility. I, th- I think that was kind of really the gist of what I was there to talk about with them. Anyway, I talked to all these year nine kids and they were telling me all of these really cool jobs that they wanted to do and it was just a really lovely opportunity. <clears throat> but one of the teachers there said, would you ever come back to Grantville? And I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Mostly because the sort of work I did at the time, I, there's no possibility for that style of work that I was doing. So that... I guess that was the defining moment. It was it was more around making a decision based on work and nothing outside of that. Um, I think my my mind was always curious about exploring and travelling. So I did lots and lots of travelling in my twenties, and I really loved the opportunity as a social worker in England. You have your pick of jobs. Well, that you certainly did when I went over. Um, which was in the early 2000s. I literally flew to England, spent the weekend in London, caught the train to Manchester because I didn't want to live in London because it was just full of Australians. I went up to Manchester and I went into an employment agency and they literally handed me two big binders and they said, pick the job that you want. 
And so I went through this folder and I basically picked the job that I wanted. And I worked in a couple of hospitals over there, which is a sort of social work practice that I'd done in Australia. I'd done some therapeutic counselling work and some hospital-based assessment work. And then I had an opportunity to work in a child protection service. And that's where my love for child protection was born. So I've worked in child protection since then, basically. So for the last 20 odd years, all of the work that I've done has had its grounding in in child protection. And what brought you back to Australia and then back to Grenfell? So back to Australia, I wanted to study further. So I wanted to complete a master's um, and I just didn't really see myself doing that in England. And I had really enjoyed my time there, but I couldn't see myself there forever. And so I was, yeah, I was getting close to 30 and I thought this is, I've had a really great time. I want to leave having had a good time rather than thinking, oh, this is not for me. So I came back and enrolled to do a master's in health management and moved back to Sydney, completed that study. Um, I have a real thing with studying. I really don't know what that's about. But anyway, I completed that qualification. Well, you are a doctor now. Well, I am. I need to refer to you as Dr. Belinda. No, that's okay. I'll just, I'll stick with Belinda. Oh, I'd like to. Okay. <laughs> well, you can if you want, that's okay. But I think some at some point on that particular journey of completing my master's one of my lecturers made a comment to me one day I asked him a question about something and he said that's a really good um, hypothesis for a thesis you should do um, you should do some sort of research I said oh my gosh I could never do that I could never ever do that and unfortunately I'm the sort of person like as soon as an idea comes into my head it just percolates and so I can we can hear that yeah Yeah. so it just it percolated and percolated and then I was living in Sydney um I was really loving working in child protection and just had a real determination to to do something significant to make a significant contribution to the industry and so I was successful in an application to become a Churchill Fellow Um, and that fellowship took me on a six-week traveling research project that I designed Um, and in the process of designing that fellowship I met a lovely woman associate professor Jenny Fraser who said to me you should do a doctorate I said I've had this conversation in the past I'm really not going to do it and the more we talked the more she said I really think this is something for you and I said look I'll make you a bet if I get the fellowship I'll do a doctorate if I don't all bets are off and I got the fellowship and so she basically said okay when do you want to start um and the day before I I commenced that enrollment my very very dear friend Denise had harassed me to come to a school reunion in Grantful and the same evening the local rugby club had um a presentation night on and we decided it would be a great idea to crash the rugby presentation and I met Anthony, who's now my partner. <laughs> All these things combining like within the space of what, 24 hours? No, yes. a week? 24 hours. Oh, we – I had seen – we had kind of had a bit of an ongoing joke, to be honest. The year before possibly or earlier in that year, I think it was earlier in the year – I'd always come home for the races or I'd always come home because mum and dad live here. So I always came home to see them. So at the June long weekend or Easter or Christmas, what have you, I would always come home and visit mum and dad. And I'd been at the races and I had seen, I had seen Anthony. I was there with my cousin and the next day my cousin was asking my mum, oh, so Arnie Sherl, who, who's this guy who presented fashions on the field? Who's he? And so we kind of had this ongoing joke and so when Denise was saying come to the school reunion 
I was saying, no, I just really, it's just, no, I just really don't want to do it. She said, if you come, if you come, you know, I'll, I'll do this or I'll do this. And I said, I'll come if you introduce me to this guy and you buy my drinks or not. And so she bought my drinks or not and she introduced me to Anthony. <laughs> the rest is history. Rest is history. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't that you – and so you you live in Grenfell now, but um, what's changed to, to, to make you be comfortable here in a career sense? Because obviously yeah. I get the sense that that is really what drives you. Absolutely. I think there was a couple of things. One – when when Anthony and I had met, um, he is I think the fourth generation farming the the property that we live on now, Allendale, and farm trumps in a West apartment, unfortunately. So I think in the space of two weeks, when I met him, I met him, um, I commenced my enrolment as a doctoral student I bought an apartment in Sydney and I flew to Japan which is totally random to present my Churchill fellowship at a conference a child protection conference over there so he was just thinking who is this person but I think what has changed I guess for me what had changed is I saw I saw Grenfell in a different light I gravitated towards People who, like yourself, who was maybe coming to Grenfell with a different outlook. And I think because I had done so much traveling and I had had, I had really enjoyed my 20s, I was looking for something different. I was looking for a quieter lifestyle. And Grenfell has that. Like we live on a farm at the foot of a mountain it is so peaceful and so beautiful and like I said this is a family farm that's been you know passed down for generations and I think I'd never lived on a farm so I was a bit kind of scared about that but I was traveling back here at weekends and then I'd trudge back to Sydney and sit in traffic for 45 minutes to travel 5k's to get to work and it just wasn't cutting it for me anymore and there was just something when I first moved here there was something about the simplicity and the quiet and the pace that just felt like the perfect homecoming like it just we were really keen um I guess well I was yeah we were really keen to have a baby so that kind of happened really quickly so I moved back here when I was 36 weeks pregnant I stayed working in Sydney and yeah I moved back here and took extended leave from my job in Sydney and that was it I think I just came I think what yeah I think what was different is I wanted something different obviously as a teenager I wanted excitement and I wanted I wanted to experience something really different but I wanted then sort of the closer I got to 40 I wanted something different I wanted to have a lifestyle that just gave me time and quiet and space and I have all of those things and a little boy (laughs) I think your experience is lived out by so many other people but what is changing is that you don't have to be inhibited by anything. Yeah, what you're, you, anything that you want to achieve in a career sense is achievable now. Is Do you agree with that? I, 100%. I think the other – it sort of circles back to that same belief that I said before about mindset. For me – I had always considered my work had to be within an organisation and what I realised is I don't have to be in an organisation to impact the work that's done. And so what I have loved and feel so fortunate that since I've moved here, um, I mean, initially I was really focused on getting my thesis finished, but slowly I was growing my business and I have a, um, I guess I just have a real confident ability to improve people's capacity 
in terms of their business relationships. So whether that's working with a leadership team about how they manage their staff or growing the skill set of a group of therapists who are supervising their colleagues or coaching uh, a group of managers to deliver a particular uh, model of service called supervision. And out here, I guess, I realise there that's a really unique skill set that not many people have got. And so, you know, particularly last year, I just had an amazing flow of opportunities coming my way. And it's it felt like no matter what I put out to the universe, it came in some way, shape or form. And so as I sit here now, I would say anything, anything is possible if you have the right mindset. Okay, so I'm a routine lover. Like I love hearing about people's daily routines and how they get things done in the day. Tell me a bit about yours on a good day. I think for me a good day um, is a, a pretty early start or well, a pretty early start for me, so sort of a 5.30, 6 o'clock. Um, and generally that gives me a chance to really – get some like really attack something in the hour before Frankie generally wakes up um, and this is still relatively new I remember when he was little and people were telling me that they were doing things in the morning and I was like how do you get anything done but at, he's at a really excellent age where I can really you know I find that hour I can write more creatively than I can any other time in the day I have amazing clarity for decision making like it's really my time to get things done so if I can't make a decision or I'm finding it really hard to make a decision I generally prioritize making that decision in that window of time so yeah I get up make my coffee we've got um, a really beautiful um, office space both Anthony and I have got office space at home so I can kind of sneak in there and I can get some work done and then Frankie will get up and then I will follow his morning routine um, and which is really important to me to make sure he has a, a good sense of routine because I agree like I just think routines are really important particularly for kids and so I think having a really predictable routine to his flow of the morning um, is important to me so I I try and stay out of my office and stay focused on having breakfast with him and getting him ready for the day and I'm then generally back at my desk on the farm generally by 9.30, which is another thing about the collective. I know a lot of people are spending insane amounts of time and as much as I like to drive, I only live, I think we live 12 or 15 Ks out of town and I spend something like two hours every day just coming into town dropping Frankie off, making sure he's settled in at preschool, making sure everything's fine and getting home and working. So for me, being able to have somewhere in town that I can be really productive and focused and I can gain back that hour is like, for me, that's all worth it. Like on a personal level, that just makes it all, all worth it. So yeah, early mornings, that's my key. And when you are you hurried in the morning, like I find that I just want to get back to work. And so you push things along and I find it really hard to, um, yeah, not, not hurry through that precious time. I try to be the opposite of hurried in the morning because when I moved here that it was the slow living that I really loved and I figure we will need to be hurried at some point but it's not when he's four I mean there are some days if I really need to be somewhere generally I'll, I'll have made another plan but if I wouldn't schedule my first appointment or my first meeting before 9.30 because I don't want him to be hurried. I want him to have a really slow and relaxed start to the day because there'll be plenty of time when he's older that will need to be at the bus and, and will need to be at school before the bell goes. And 
I know that's coming. <laughs> so that really forces me to slow down. Yeah. And what about at the opposite end of the day? Are you also a night owl? Do you like to get work done, um, you know, after bedtime and after dinner? Or is that your relaxing time? I try not to. I think um, I needed to do that when I was when I was working and completing my thesis. I really needed to sort of steal all of the time that was possible. But it actually... I realised after I had it in my thesis that that's not a sustainable way for me and it's not how I want to work and I don't think I need to work like that really. Um, I Because I am a bit of a morning person, if I can get that hour done before Frankie gets up and then um, if I do like a deep work session sort of from 9.30 till 11.30, my productivity is just amazing which means I don't need to work at night. Um, I mean, if I if there's something really pressing, I might, but I'm, I think I've become really disciplined because I worked out that I could spend two hours. So I could sit at my desk from eight to 10. It means I don't get any downtime. I don't get to chat to Anthony about what's going on in our lives and we don't that's generally the only time we've got to connect is sort of after eight o'clock. And I think there's too much that I miss out on for the lack of like rather than just sitting at my desk staring at a screen because I've generally been up since, you know, whatever time in the morning and I've generally had a busy day. It it just doesn't seem worth it to me in the long run. How do you relax and wind down? I find the final step in our bedtime routine for Frankie is a book. And I love laying down with him um, and reading and just having a little chat before I say goodnight to him. And that to me kind of signifies the start of an evening where I can kind of do whatever I want to do. So I've just started, uh, I've just joined a book club. I really didn't read at all while I was doing my thesis because obviously you need to do so much reading and and lots and lots of writing and editing. Um, So I've just really reconnected with books. So I like to read and I love watching trashy TV, which is just hideous, but I love it. Um, And I also just, we've, we've, Last year we built um, a beautiful extension on our house and we overlook a mountain. Um, And so occasionally we just sit down there and look at the mountain and Anthony and I just kind of chat without interruption, which is quite novel. So that's probably the the main ways that that I relax. I tend to just... Evenings for me at the moment are about being at home. And finding ways to relax at home. I don't really have that desire to be anywhere other. Unless it's yoga with Ken. And then I'm happy to be out of the house for a couple of hours. So that's another. um, That's actually another nice way of relaxing. Is just doing a bit of yoga. Either out or at home. There's an excellent, excellent lady. Who I think lives on a farm near Carathool. Um, Is that how you pronounce it? Carathool. Near Griffith, I think. Um, And she has a business called Saltbush Stretch. She's hilarious. And she sends through these beautiful 20-minute flows. So you can either do a power flow or a slow flow. And she just records it. I think she's just in her house. Um, And so I subscribe to her. And you can kind of do it whenever suits you. And 20 minutes is just it's easier to find 20 minutes than get in the car and go to a class sometimes. So yeah, that's how I relax. Didn't know about her. That's so good. Uh, Just quickly before we end, while we're on the recommendations, what are you, what are you reading at the moment? What books do you like? And do you have any podcasts that you're loving? Um, Oh, I love podcasts. I'm just getting back into the flow of reading. I think with the book that I'm currently reading, um, which is connected to the book club that I've just joined is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. It's so 
amazingly challenging, if I can say that. Um, I feel like if I even tried to capture what the essence is about, that I would misrepresent it. I just think it's a book that people should have a look at. It's maybe not for everybody, um, but I'm just finding it really challenging, which is which is nice. I guess that's what I yeah I like to challenge myself. So that's definitely a book that I would recommend to people. And podcasts, I always always listen to How I Work, which is a podcast you recommended to me years ago, and I feel like I have listened to every single episode. So that is um, by a woman in Melbourne, Dr. Amantha Imba, and she's um, a psychologist, an organisational psychologist. You have to meet her. Oh, I know. She's honestly, it's the greatest positive influence on my work practice that I've, than anything else ever. So I would highly recommend to people who like that sort of stuff. Get her to Grinfall. Oh, yeah. That would be amazing. It's all about productivity. She interviews really cool people and I just always get a lot out of those podcasts so I would highly recommend how I work thank you so much for sitting down with me in the Lachlan fertilizer offices and telling me about everything that you're doing and how you came here and I just think it's wonderful so best of luck with it all we'll be watching what's the best way to to find the collective of course so we will have a website up and running very soon which is how you can do booking. So it's just the collective Grentful. Um, and we also have, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. So stay tuned. As you might have guessed, Belinda and I are buddies. We shared a very informal office together when I was living in Grenfell. And I think if you can get the balance right, it is such a wonderful thing. We used to share a big bowl of pho sometimes on a Friday from the local Vietnamese store in town and discuss business and ideas. And I really miss it now that I'm working by myself. It's been brilliant to see the idea of the Grenfell Collective come to life so quickly and in such a polished way. Bring on more co-working spaces all over Australia, I say. Thank you to the Grampians Goods Co. for partnering with us for Series 3 of Company. And I look forward to bringing you another story of another rural woman in business next week.